which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, uh, if you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. For those that were not with us last week, this is actually kind of a part two of the sermon, and I will do my best to kind of catch you up. The, the good thing, it is a parable of Christ in Luke chapter 15, and it's a very familiar one. It's one that many, many people are familiar with, whether they have been in church a lot in their life or just a little bit. They're kind of familiar with this one, and most of the time we f- kind of focus on that first son, the prodigal, and he kind of gets all the attention. In fact, many people, even if you look in your Bible, said the, the parable of the prodigal son. And I think that that, uh, uh, certainly I'm not going to argue with anybody who put that in the Bible, but at the same time, I, I really think it is far wider than we could ever imagine. In fact, most scholars and theologians would say that it's the second brother, the elder brother, that really was the point of the whole parable. Do you like mysteries? Do you, do you like the kind of mysteries that you think you've got it all figured out? And then right at the last, you know, the last chapter, all of a sudden it takes a turn. And the one that you thought was the hero actually becomes the villain. Have you ever read a book like that, a mystery like that? Watched a movie like that? It's both frustrating and kind of exciting at the same time. Exciting because it leaves you totally on the end of your seat. You're just going, okay, I can't figure this out. And you didn't see it coming. In the same way, it's a little frustrating because in your own mind, you thought you had it all figured out. You kind of had the whole author's intentions and everything kind of right there. And and you thought that maybe perhaps, even if you didn't read that last chapter of the book, watch that last five minutes of the movie, that somehow you would be able to write, you know, the ending story. Imagine that's the exact feeling that those who had gathered to hear Jesus on this day felt. Because they were going along, and Jesus is telling a story. In fact, he told three stories, three parables, back to back to back, to the same crowd, a very diverse crowd that we found out last week was as different as night and day. Verse 1, it talks about that some of those that had gathered there were tax collectors and sinners. Funny that even 2,000 years ago, tax collectors and sinners were kind of synonymous. Things don't change as much as we think, but, but they were seen as just these outcasts, you know, the people that are outside of society, outside of acceptance, and especially outside of God's acceptance. And then we see in verse 2 another crowd that was there, a part of the crowd. They were the religious ones. They were the leaders. They were the ones that had kind of all the, the theology down. They had everything figured out. They were the ones that kind of walked the straight and narrow. If you look back, you couldn't have had such a diverse crowd. Those that were in, those that were out. Those that walked with God, those that were the farthest thing from God. And yet, those were the people that Christ began to tell this story to. Not one story, but three. Three stories that illustrated kind of the same truth. And that is that when something that is lost is found, there is incredible joy and there's incredible celebration. The, the first story was about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and And how he would leave the 99 sheep that were secure. And he would leave those 99 to go after that one lost sheep. And he would go and he would search and not give up until that one lost sheep was found. And then it says that when he came back, you know, he had celebration. There was joy. Right after he finished that, Jesus said, well, there's also this woman. And she had 10 coins. These 10 coins 
were valuable to her, not just in monetary, but they were, they were part of her. And, and she lost one of these coins, and there was great stress and distress in her life over this lost coin. And so she turns the house upside down until she finds this coin. And then we get to that punchline. That punchline is, and there was great joy and celebration. She celebrated with everybody because something was lost, was found. And Jesus told then a third story story of a father who had two sons. One of the sons was, well, let's just say he was kind of the rebellious type. He had plans of his own that really didn't kind of coincide with the father's plans. The father had intended for him perhaps to stay right there and kind of work the family business, and yet this boy had that mind that he wanted to do things his way. And so he asked his father for his inheritance. The fact being that the father's not even dead yet. And, you know, not only was that rude, but it was just unheard of. And as we said last week, it was one of those things that the the religious people in that crowd, the Pharisees and all those that kind of knew the rules of life, I would not have been surprised at all if there was a collective gasp when Jesus told that part of the story. That this young boy goes to his father and says, can I have what's coming to me? I know you're not dead yet, but can, can you go ahead and divide your property? Can I get my inheritance now? And I imagine that those that were in the know theologically, those who kind of think that they had it all figured out, that God was kind of in this box that they could kind of know everything about, that they were just amazed at that, not in a good way. As we followed that story last week, He said this boy goes out and he finds himself doing things his own way and it does not turn out good. He finds himself, in a simple word, without. Have you ever been without? I mean, it's a funny thing that we who have much, we really don't relate to without. There's not a parent in here that if your child went at least three, three and a half hours without food, has not heard, I am starving. Not just hungry, starving. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, yes, you're hungry, but to the point, I am without. And you're going, you just ate two hours ago or three hours ago. I don't know. I mean, there's some that maybe you could really say, hey, Bobby, I differed from that. I, I really, I've been without. Well, this boy is, finds himself without. He goes out, he takes this inheritance. We don't know how much money it is. We don't know how, what length of time it is. But he finds himself without, and then all of a sudden, he squanders all of that. In the King James Version, that's what I grew up under, and I always, as I told you last week, riotous living. And I, as a little boy, 9 years old, 12 years old, 14, I was going, man, riotous living. That sounds really dangerous, but really fun. You know, riotous living. So he goes out there and he squanders everything. He's now without, he's without food, he's without shelter, he's without clothes. I mean, he's got just the old grubby clothes. But most of all, he's without hope. Until one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. If I had to select a, a, a list of, of ten verses just to pick from the Bible that I would want to share with my friends and with my family that did not know Christ didn't have an intimate relationship with Christ. This is one of the ten verses that I would pick because it's one of my all-time favorites. Luke fifteen seventeen, It says, But when he came to himself, in the NIV it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants 
have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Luke 15, 17, and he came to his senses. He came to himself. We, we explained last week that that's two truths. The two most important truths of the entire gospel. It's the truth about God and it's the truth about us. You start reading in Genesis, you, you go to the end of Revelation. Folks, those are the two declarative truths that I pray that, you would, that we would get, that, that we learn the truth about God. And just as important that we would learn the truth about ourselves. So when we look at the gospel picture, when we look at Jesus Christ, when we look at all that the Bible has to say, yes, it has all kinds of historical facts. It has all kinds of theology. It has all kinds of commandments. But really, it is a love story that God has given to you so that we would know these two great truths in life, the truth about him and who he really is, not what we have made him, not what we have said, well, my God would never do this, or I don't think God does that, but he just spells it out for himself. This is who I am. But just as importantly, he says, this is who you are. And it shows us our need and his sufficiency. I mean, you can explain the gospel in a lot of different ways. But knowing the truth about God, how he's holy and loving, and knowing the truth about ourselves, that we are not perfect, we have not been able to walk that fine line of exactness, of doing everything right, so we are a people in need, and yet he supplied this need through his own son who did walk that path, walked that line perfectly, and lived totally without sin. And then with the provision for, for you and me who never could walk that line, and not only is that the gospel, it's the heart of this story. And he comes to know the truth about himself. He, he comes to know the truth about God. And the story could end right there. And wouldn't that be a beautiful story that this boy comes home and the father says, Son, come here. And, and the Bible says that he restored a relationship to the son. The son came back and said, You know, I just want, I deserve not even to be a servant. Really, you could say, you're dead to me, and that's what I deserve. But I'm coming back because why? Because I know that you're a father of grace. And, and so that enables me to come back. And can I just be like one of your hired servants? And the father says this. You're not a servant, you're a son. Go get a robe and put it on him. Go get the, the signet ring that was a family ring, put that on his finger. The sandals that servants didn't wear, put those on his feet. For the son of mine was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. And if we stopped right there, we would say, what a wonderful story. Man, it shows us a picture of who God is. And our need as this prodigal, as this group of prodigals that go out there and kind of live this life and then come when we find ourselves without and we go, okay, God, will you take me back? Will you take me into your family? And if it stopped right there, it would be a good lesson. It would be a wonderful parable. It would be one that we would preach often and we would love. And yet it does not stop there. Remember last week we said, who's telling the story? Jesus is. If you have one of those Bibles that still prints all the words of Christ in red, this is totally in red. 
These are the words of Christ. Nobody's punching him saying, okay, read this. This is a story that Joe came up with, but you tell this story. This is a, a story that Jesus comes up with from his heart to illustrate his truth. Not a word added, not one left uh, apart from the story that he intended. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on and look what he says. Verse 25 and 26. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. But we were told in the beginning of the story that there was a father with how many sons? Two sons. And yet we almost forget this other son. He's kind of off. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And all of our focus goes to this prodigal son, this rebellious one. If you're a parent of, of multiple children and one is a little bit more rebellious than the other one, you kind of know that story. Oh, we forgot. Junior over here. Why? Because Junior was kind of being good. All of our attention was on Bobby. Because <laughs> he's the one that was coloring way outside the lines. We get that. And so we're kind of caught up in this story, and we forget about this older brother. And yet, as I told you before, most theologians would say that really this older brother, this is the real point of the story. That why every one of us can relate to the prodigal, there really is a lot of older brother in all of us. Verse 27. He hears all this music. He hears... All this going on. He wonders what's happening. Maybe even in the back of his mind, is he thinking, is it my birthday and I just forgot and dad is ready to celebrate me or my faithfulness? He just he sees the good son that I am and not this rebellious son like the other one. Could this possibly for me? He asked the servant, what's going on? I, I hear music. I see dancing. I see laughter. I see just a good time happening. What's going on? Verse 27. The servant replies to him and says, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf. Barbecue. Because he's received him back safe and sound. I mean, they're having brisket that night. They're having a good time. And it was three things that should have influenced this older brother Three things in this one verse that you see there that should have been sufficient. I really want you to look at this verse, guys, because it's probably one of the crucial verses of this parable. And yet, so oftentimes we kind of leave it off. Three reasons why this brother should have been able to join in on the celebration just like everybody else. He says, number one, your brother has come. We didn't know where he was a week ago. We can tell if he was dead or alive, but he's come. Number two, your father has killed the fatted calf. There's always good celebration when there's brisket. And number three, because he has him back safe and sound. There's been restoration. And there's three good reasons why this brother should have said, all right then, let's party. Let's celebrate. Let's have this joy. And yet we see this very dark side of, of all of us at times in verse 58. You know, the, the gospel, the truth about God, the, the truth about ourselves, these are the two greatest truths of life. This is what we need to understand, who God is and who's, who we are. And we go, okay, yeah, we're kind of that prodigal. Thank God he's the father that will restore broken relationships. But verse 28, there's a part of this older brother 
that's kind of you and me too. Look at his reaction. Three good reasons why he should have been able to just to walk in and celebrate with everybody else. Go in there and hug his brother. Man, I, was, I prayed for you. I wondered about you. But look what he says. Verse 28. But he was angry and he refused to go in. We see in this older brother, uh, this dark side of us, and this dark side of all of our humanity, every one of us have had this in our lives. We can have this. This can take root. It can grow like a cancer. And it's that part of us that thinks somehow we have figured out life a little bit more than God has, and we cry out, God, it's not fair. And every one of us in here has done that before. I promise you that there's not one of us that at least for that fleeting moment when we saw the inequities of life, that, man, the evil are prospering and and the good guys are losing, that we haven't asked deep within our heart, if we haven't struggled with, God, this just doesn't seem fair. And really, this is the response. He says, this isn't fair. I'm not even going to go in there. I'm angry. See, there's a lot of things that we think that when we, when we draw this square and try to shove God into this square and fit into our rules and our regulations, this is what God should do, and no, this is something that God shouldn't do, that we're going to mess up. And Jesus went around. Have you ever seen those commercials? Different commercials are using this tactic now of the mind being blown. You know, sometimes it's some company and it's purple and their mind gets blown. Others are still using it. Well, Jesus went around in his time, and there would have been a lot of those people going, it just blew my mind. Matthew 20 is one of those occasions. I don't expect you to know exactly what's in Matthew 20. In Matthew 20, Jesus was telling another story. He told another parable, and it was about these workers that were hired by this person, and some came at sunup, and they started working. And it was a hot day, kind of like now. And others came about lunchtime. A couple others came at 2 o'clock. Some others came a little bit later on. Some came about like an hour before quitting time. And then at the end of the day, they all gathered around. It was time to get paid. And there were the people that showed up in the early morning that had worked all day in this ferocious sun. And they're going, man, we're going to get paid nice for this. And they received their payment. And then all of a sudden, the person that came at lunchtime received their payment. It was the same thing. And the guy who had been there all day began to scratch his head a little bit and go, wait, 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 your math is off here. And then the guy who came at two, he received the same thing. Then the guy who came, I mean, showed up right before the whistle blew, and he gets the same thing. And there's a kind of a revolt. This is not fair. God, you do things that don't calculate out correctly. Folks, honestly, we, we kind of accuse God of that all the time. Whenever God was trying to illustrate grace, his grace, not our grace, his grace bestowed upon us, it always blew their mind because it didn't follow a mathematical formula where one plus one always equaled two. We like that. You know why we like mathematical formulas that, that always give this? So that, number one, we can figure it out. And number two, second reason, is that we know and we like to keep score. I mean, honestly. Who are my competitive people here? How many of you grew up with the philosophy, hey, why even play if they don't keep score? 
You know, this is part of your nature. You know, man, if, you, if, if it's a game, we might as well keep score so that there can be a and a. Exactly. Yeah. Why even play if there's not somebody who's winning, there's not somebody losing? And, and yet when we come to grace, we, we find out that all this merit, all this winning, all these things that we calculated in our mind are not the, the thinking of God. That the Father would even forgive the sinful reactions of, of this brother is totally beyond the, the logic. It doesn't go with the flow chart. But then that he would restore this brother, not as a servant, but as a son, totally blows his whole fault of the good thinking of his father. We find in verse 29 and 30, look, look real close in verse 29 and 30, his justification of why he would not go in. Verse 28 says he refuses to go in. We find out here's his justification. Here's his reasoning that he's given about why he refuses to go in. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, <laughs> this son of yours, when he comes you have, uh, and he's devoured your property with prostitutes, you've killed the fatted calf for him, Daddy, have you done the math on this? Have you, have you looked at the flow chart? This makes no sense. Very important question for us to have kind of a full grasp on this parable. Who is the older brother really angry at? The father. i got all these good theologians right here in the front row. I mean, you would think that the anger is toward the brother because the brother messed up. But the anger is with the father. You never gave me a young goat. You killed the fatted calf for him. That is not fair, and, and you're the one responsible. I mean, I'm not saying that he's having a love fest with his brother, Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying that instantly he just kind of takes his brother in and just, you know, begins to embrace him. No, he's angry with his brother, but his real anger is directed to the father because the father's the one that's in control and the father's the one that he believes can make or break relationships, make or break lives in the same way that oftentimes we get very angry with God if we're really honest because God, you're, I have no control here, but you do have control. I believe that you are a God who's in control. And so why did this happen to these people in Orlando? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Because God doesn't fit in a box. Because he doesn't do things in a methodical way. Always hurt bad people. Always bless good people. Because he kind of is outside of that in his grace. Knowing those bounds that we say, okay, God, my anger is really with you. The older brother can't grasp what in the world the father's trying to do and then he almost does like a little fact check have you ever seen like we're in political season right now and so they'll take the, what the candidates have said and they kind of put them there as a fact check two columns this is what this one has said this is what this one has said and he almost does that he said okay i want you to notice what i've done okay i have served you and your son remember he abandoned you okay. so what he's trying to do is inform the father have you ever prayed to inform the Father? 
God, I just want you to know, my boss, that guy has lost it. God, are you aware of what's going on on this little planet that you created? Are you aware of what's happening in my life? And, and, and we want to give God this fact check, like we're informing God of details that God is going, oh, man. Right? I did not know it. Thank you for your prayers. Your fervent prayers have informed me today so that I can make more God-like decisions. Thank goodness we have faithful people like you walking the earth then coming to me in prayer and giving me the facts. Because that's exactly, that is exactly what is happening here in the mind of the son. He, when it miscalculates and the father is not reacted in, in a prescribed way, in a box that how dads should react, give favor to the good son, kind of cast off the bad son. He said, you know, I've served you. He hasn't. I've never disobeyed. He, he wasted everything, his whole inheritance in wild living. That those are the facts. So if you want to get your pencil off, if you want to calculate that one more time, put that into your kind of input one more time. This is the conclusion that you will draw. Simple fact is, those weren't the facts. I mean, let's just take this never disobeyed. Is there anybody here that could say, I never disobeyed? Now again, compared to your brother or sister, it may have looked like you never disobeyed. I mean, it's a blessing and curse to have a rebellious sibling. In one way, it's like, good, I can be the good child. But the honest fact is, in comparison to perfection, nobody has never disobeyed. What he thought was fact was really false thinking. And when we go to God and we try to give facts back to God, kind of, okay, God, this is really what's going on here, folks. We are the ones, believe it or not, that, that really have the false thinking. This older brother, he's, he's sitting there, and, and look what happens in verse 31 and 32. <clears throat> kind of on this false belief that the, this older brother uh, has earned his relationship, his good standing with the father. Look at how the father responds, verse 31 and 32, as we conclude today. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting that we celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, not my other son. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. The father looks at the calculations of the older son. He said, you got your math, uh, your math wrong. He said, why didn't you put this into the equation? Son, you've always been with me. There's never been a break in our fellowship. You've been here, and has it been really that bad? Am I that bad of a father that you've stayed here? Is there not blessing that we've never had broken relationship? Has that not been a blessing to you? And number two, son, all that is mine is yours. The inheritance that you promised you, you're still getting the inheritance. You know, all that is mine is yours. How are you coming up short here? The first 32 points out the biggest mistake that I think that the older brother failed to consider. And that was, this wasn't the brother's party. Whose party was it? The father's party. 
That's a big difference, guys. The prodigal doesn't come home and go, okay, I deserve a party. (laughs) I came home. You're blessed with my presence. No, it's the love of the Father. It's the desire of the Father who sees the prodigal who was dead is now alive, was lost and is now found. He said, this is my party and I'm throwing the party. That's the point. Because if we go all the way back to, you know, the first two verses of Luke 15, that was the division. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) It wasn't just that it was sinners and Pharisees, you know, the religious people. It's just this mindset that the the religious people had that somehow they had earned a right standing with God because of their goodness. And then why would Jesus ever spend even a second with the great unwashed people, tax collectors and sinners? Verse 32, the original Greek, if you want to go back there, when it says it is fitting, the Greek word there means it's a strong word. It's, a, it's an emphasized word, and it means God has ordained this. This is something that God has ordained. This is purposeful. It wasn't just, okay, you kind of felt like it. Very much this was, okay, God has ordained this. When we see it at other places in the Bible, it means that God has pronounced this. And, and Jesus is using that word there for, in purpose that it, 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 this is ordained, this is commanded by God that we celebrate. Why? Because he wanted us to know that this is so much from the father's heart. This isn't about the two sons. This is the father's heart expressing his love toward these sons. And then he loves the older son. But he rejoices because this younger son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and is now found. If you forget everything about this sermon, and I pray that you won't, if you forget everything, I want you to look at this next picture. We're going to wrap up now and... If you try to figure out grace, God's grace, and you think it's a, a flow chart, if you think it's a, a calculated formula that you can say, okay, God does this, 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 and, and here's the outcome, you'll never get grace. I mean, you'll never embra- understand grace. Simple fact is, to our human minds, grace is messy. Grace is really messy. Because those that we think, man, they deserve this. Well, man, why did this happen? This was, this was such a good guy. Why did this bad thing? Well, we'll never understand some of those things in life. And, and the bottom line is that when God colors this world, God's heart, he colors outside the lines. Here's the good news of that. Guess where you and I are on that picture? We're outside the lines. Aren't you glad that he kind of didn't keep it in the lines? Aren't you glad that, do you really believe that you were the one that walked the straight line, that you never erred, that you're the good son that was just as this son said, you know, I've never traveled far away. I've never gone. I've never disobeyed. The Bible says in Old Testament, New Testament, Isaiah, that all of us have sinned. Romans, all of us have sinned. That Christ died for the iniquities of us all. So when we begin to get a little frustrated with God's grace, as this older brother did, please please understand that if God wasn't coloring up there on the left-hand corner, way outside of the heart, where I was, that, that maybe that's where you were too. And that's why it's so amazing, his grace. 
Because it doesn't make sense. Here's the good news. Today, this may be your one millionth time in church. It may be your first time in church. You may have planned to come and just worship the King and the Father, and, and this is just part of what you do. And Maybe you're here today. Uh, uh, maybe you came to celebrate with Anna and her family or others that are here, and maybe you just said, well, I saw the church. I figured, why not? I'll go in. No matter how long you have, have not been, been looking, searching, walking with God, the good news of the gospel is God's grace is sufficient for everyone. And that everyone, the real truth about ourselves is that none of us were inside the lines. None of us are perfect. But God in his love gave his only begotten son that when we put our faith and trust in the work of that son, that we will have eternal life. There will be restoration between father and child. That's about as good as it gets. I could preach that for the rest of my life. And I promise you, folks, there would be nothing that I could preach that would be more supreme than the Father's love and His grace for His children. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I I pray that we would be impacted by this sermon today. Number one, Father, that we would just have a compassion for lost people. Father, for people that did not color within the lines. For, Father, that was us. We were not those that obeyed all correctly. But, Father, I pray that that compassion would fill our hearts because we will never have a passion for reaching this community and the lost until we have that compassion for them, Father. It's not just that we go and would knock on a door or that we deliver some kind of a, 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 a information to them about... Uh, what it says in your word, Father, until we are compassionate people, until we understand how you have met the need of our life, Father, we will never have a passion for those who are not there yet. Father, we truly are beggars who have found food, and now we just want to go tell other beggars where we found this food. Will you give us that mindset? Will you give us that heart? And Father, when, when your ways, your grace... When your ways color outside the line and we begin to say that this is not fair, Father, will you bring us back and give us the truth about ourselves and the truth about you? We love you, Father, and we just thank you, Father. I pray today that you will make much of your word, make much of your son. And that even now, Father, that you would draw all of us unto you in worship, in salvation, whatever it might be, Father, that today that we just leave here truly different than when we came in because we've been in your word. We've, we've been before you in song. We, we witness a picture of the gospel in the baptism of Anna. Father, we have been participants in marvelous things this morning. Change our lives and our minds and our hearts because of it. This we pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org. 
or find us on Facebook.